motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. All right, everybody. Welcome to a yeah. fucking hour. Uh, I am Evan Husney. Joined, of course, to my left, we got Tom Fitzgerald over there. What's up? Hi, everybody. Oh, that's a good one. And uh, to <laughs> my right, we got uh, Marcus Herring. What's going on, Marcus? You back home? Back home. This yeah, back home. Got a cold again. You know, I don't know. Ever since everything opened back up, I've been sick like ten times. So the germs Rocking. are going around. Not COVID. I'm probably, I'm probably sick too. You know, something's wrong. I, got, I came down with something yesterday, so I think Party I'm time. sick too. I think I'm sick too. So oh, just, nice one! I think we're all the trifecta. Sick. Yeah. All right. So. Amazing. Sick. This is a good sick. movie to be sick to. It you know? is. Very it's very true. cough syrupy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> There's a, an it's a fever sickness. dream. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Lead the way. Robo tripping. All right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, this is uh, episode twenty-seven. Uh, oh my which is god! Hard to believe, but we're at we're at twenty-seven. And uh, tonight is Frank Perry. Uh, I'm actually going to call it Frank and Eleanor Perry's uh, "The Swimmer" uh, from nineteen sixty-eight. <clears throat> uh, so that's what we're looking at tonight. Very excited for that. And uh, I guess without further ado, I'm going to start that clock. Here, so. All right. Look at that <laughs> clock. clock. Okay. Come on now. Okay. And, everybody's here and, just for for what? Yeah. This is what just start it. This is what everybody's here for. Okay. It's the okay. clock start. And then they all tune out. That's the, the <laughs> that's the okay. diagnostics. It's like they just want to watch that clock. The clock oh, there's there clock problems. Okay. Yeah, there we <laughs> go. No, I started it. All right. <clears throat> all right. Okay. Uh the swimmer. Uh David Schwimmer. Uh the swimmer is the nineteen sixty eight allegorical dream state drama. From husband and wife team Frank and Eleanor Perry, of course, with Frank directing and scripting from Eleanor. It's based on John Cheever's New Yorker short story of the same name. The film stars uh, Burt Lancaster as Ned Merrill, a slow-burning tragic figure who embarks on a bizarre quest to pool hop across uh, an affluent suburban neighborhood in Connecticut. Pool by pool, he encounters old friends, flames, and rivals, which culminates into an overdose of surreal masculine panic. So uh, super relatable. (laughs) Right off the bat, um, this is uh, inherently spoilery, just us walking through the film, you know, Um, and I'll just side note. The reason I mainly bring that up is because when I first saw it, I had no idea. Uh, It was just sort of recommended to me along with other Demento titles when I was like a teenager, actually. And uh, it was just a VHS rental. And I did not know. And I took the journey just totally cold, and I was actually blown away by the last moment of the film. So, yeah. really, hopefully, hopefully, yeah. all you folks have seen it uh, because it really, I think, does have a great impact when you just walk into it cold. And it's I think it's fresh actually because it does yeah. it does have a um, impact, even if you know there's like a something's coming. It does color your experience of the film. Yeah, but you're not yeah. sure what and like, um, but also, I mean, I guess if if you don't mind, I'm just kind of diving in, you know. Uh, just referencing, you know, hopefully people have seen it, but just one of the things I liked about it when I first saw it, and I always liked it, I just rewatched it recently, is um, the little clues that you're getting as a viewer that they're giving you. Mm. Um, early on, it's subtle, and then it's it's compounding, you know, things like uh, a look that one of the neighbors gives, 
you know, maybe a comment that's kind of um, like squashed by their partner. That, yeah, you know, there's a like, lot of nuts around. You know, yeah. <laughs> like they, yeah. That's one of the lines that yeah. they yeah. say. Yeah, yeah, no, and it's just things like, um, you know, like hushed, like w- walking someone over and uh, like from them talking to Burt Lancaster and like whispering in their ear, like, you know, you're like, what the hell is going on? And your imagination kind of uh, takes away. It's like, um, who is this guy? Also, just uh, just to leap into the film for a second, like what always got me too about Oh, sorry. I just wanted to just throw right into that before you continue. It's just like my yeah, own. Yeah, yeah. I, I had a very similar experience. Yeah, go for it. Um, in terms of like, I, I come from a, a younger, dumber, more cynical generation than you guys. But um, mm-hmm. when I first was recommended this movie uh, from my, my, my old video store days, I watched it and I'm like, you know, as soon as like you see Burt Lancaster and he's coming out of the first pool and he's like, I'm going to swim home, you know, and you're just like, I was just like, oh, yeah. boy. And I don't even think I yeah. made it past minute 10 on the first go around because I was like, I ain't watching. I thought this was like going to be something. Really? Sort of, yeah. I, I, I First oh, time. Okay. And I'm young and dumb. And I'm just thinking no, okay, that this right. is, is going to be some sort of magical realism or proto magical realism or something like just I just was like, oh, this is going to be too sentimental. <laughs> I'm, 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 I'm th- okay that yeah. helped that was the perfect word thank you yeah yeah like and it's, it's so a, not it is so not the film's, so it's a brutal so, punch in the face yeah i know exactly and so i i actually was like eh, fuck this and then year a couple years later it was like really hammered home i think when grindhouse releasing put it out which was kind of a head scratcher and then they put yeah, it out bit. and it was kind of like okay what's going on and then and then when, of course just like you said when i got to that final moment and of course the, there's great moments from you know beginning to end mm. in this movie mm-hmm. but that's when i was like holy shit this movie is fucking twilight zone and it's fucking dark and it's really yeah uh, absolutely yeah, it's really uh it's, grim. it's funny you <laughs> should say that yeah no because i thought of uh twilight zone 2 and willoughby you know i mean it's more um it's a more mature work uh you know not yeah. just because it's you know three, yeah. three times as long but it's uh you know uh well i mean hmm i was just going to kind of dive into the film and and, and Go for it. strange but just that well i was going to say uh I don't know how to start kind of, but like, just, I wanted to make a note about sort of the experiential part of the film, you know, like, yeah, you know, there's the devastating ending, but then like, how does it start? It's like, it's, it really is just a guy in swim trunks wandering out of the woods. It, it's so in, uh, immediately sort of a mythic, you know, and like uh, just pure allegory, almost like a strange fable or something like that. Like, like he has no context. I mean, the context sort of is his neighbors know him. But, uh, you know, one interesting thing, too, about that is geographically speaking, you know, he's going down the quote unquote Lucinda River and where we meet up with him, he's deciding to create a Lucinda River to his home, which is miles away by like, you know, hiking between his neighbors, you know, pools. So yeah. uh, the one thing I was thinking was like um, that's he's well, actually, it's a mythos and a mythos. He's creating some strange mythos within this film that it's almost kind of mythically um, uh, evolving for you as the yeah. viewer. You know what I mean? It's and almost so, like Greek myth or something, right? Because he's mm-hmm, like, even yeah. his manner of speech is different right. from theirs. And he, right, he refers right. to himself as noble and, you know, like, uh, yeah, he's got a hero. Grecian, he looks like uh, David or something, you know, like, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so, He's like, like a on a, like he's on a, he's on a Homeric journey, you know? Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. so, so that's actually all I guess what I'm saying is just like that drew me in immediately because um, it's, it's a normal world sort of, but it's not. And what I, what I picked up on immediately was also that everything's really loaded. You know, when you have a situ- when you create a circumstance like that, I'll just say, for instance, like him meeting the little boy with the lemonade stand, 
like mm-hmm. um like there's this great it's it's not a pain in the ass surrealism uh and symbolism it's actually very subtly rendered you know these people are real craftspeople. you know the original short story writer and mm-hmm. eleanor and frank like like the empty pool could have been um that could be very uh, almost like blowout or excuse me blow up blow up uh, antonioni where it's like oh they're playing tennis without a ball you know and that's fine and i love it but i'm just saying like <laughs> there's this great rigor because yeah like one of the pools could be surprisingly empty but then there's this really grim significance and i think and then i'll shut up and we'll move on it's just like it's a perfect example of why i love this film is empty pool it's him and the little boy and and of course ned Bert Lancaster, the swimmer, is talking about to the little boy about like if you make up things and make them up so good, they'll become real. And you're like, yeah, that's what you're doing right now, you fucking <laughs> yeah. maniac. Yeah, and like, but has, then the but, yeah, but, but it we'll also say that the, the, okay. well, just really quickly, just the icing is um, he's that's the advice he's leaving with that kid and walking away, and then that kid is bouncing on yes, a fucking saying. board uh imperiling himself getting killed and and then he runs back and he's like uh, uh hold on like uh that empty pool is very real and uh don't listen too much to this crazy old man's advice so just all that is so is done so well like visually thematically and it's just and he his performances are great and it looks great the film's beautiful so i don't know just for me that's a that's an example where you're like if you're not hooked as a, as a as a someone who loves film by that scene, just give it up. Hang up your hat. You know. <laughs> well, That's one all. thing I was one thing just to kind of backtrack too is like you know the movie is constructed around these sort of vignettes uh, from pool to pool, right? Like you know as yeah. Burt Lancaster is meeting. Uh, or he's going from pool to pool in this weird, you know, suburban uh, affluent neighborhood. He's meeting, you know, these different folks and there's different dramatic sequences that sort of play out and you were saying earlier that before we were recording that each pool kind of has like a sort of allegorical or metaphorical quality to it too like they kind of get I was saying it has an emotion well that too yeah yeah that it's like when they get to obviously at the end jumping ahead here for a second but when we get to the end it's like you get the public pool which is obviously the lowest you can go holy shit i know that is that is out of a horror movie like i forgot that sometimes you know the way seconds uh shot the same year by the way suburban man dread uh but like um if that becomes a horror movie scene like i hope a public pool has never gotten that grotesque because you know the camera uh, an underwater camera is like handheld and like right on top of all these people and you know like you're seeing it burt lancaster vision in that pool so that is so horrific compared to the start of the film um which is very uh, idyllic you know what i mean it's like there's so much love of nature and and you're really lulled by the beauty of nature the trees glinting you know the leaves glinting in the sunlight and all it's just incredible and then it becomes this grotesque lump of horrible human flesh (laughs) that's just like pulsating in it's barely in water you know it's a nightmare It it gets worse the closer he gets to like his reality Crossing the street is is horrifying, yeah. you know. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, well, let's uh, yeah. let's unless Marcus, unless you want to throw down in that, I think we should just go back a little bit to the beginning, talk a little bit about the the backstory. But if you uh, if you got anything you wanted to toss into the, uh, on this pool chat we're having here, ah, uh, pools. Yeah, no, I just thought like it was interesting how they set how they were like uh, they they when they were riding it, they sat down, and they thought like, now what what what's every kind of pool that he could go to? You know, they, they thought it out very well. They're like, uh, there's an empty pool and there's a public pool and there's a, a party uh, pool. Nudist. Pool party. You know, there's a pool party. There's, there's you a know, pool party. Yeah. Yeah. 
And, it, and, and the way that it stays like that, you know, for me, it recalled like plays, you know, and um, yeah. So if part of it feels like a filmed play to me, like the, the drama, the drama and the storytelling feel like a play in a way, but then it's got these like weird connective scenes, you know, like yeah. stitching them together. Yeah. Yeah, they're very cool. Those scenes actually are kind of some of the most stylized, and all those interstitial moments of uh, some of my favorite scenes in the movie are actually the in-between pool moments, where it's Bert walking with I think uh, Julie is the character's name, the blonde-haired girl, if I remember correctly. Uh, my babysitter. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and it's all these just great impressionistic shots, which is brilliantly photographed. It's and, so beautifully filmed. And, yeah, it's so especially in the earlier part of the film. Yeah. Yeah, and just like, like just, yeah, passing through the leaves, passing through the branches, and of amazing, course, like amazing. doing all the dialogue MOS, like let's not show them talking, mm-hmm. let's just do it all that way. Yeah. And that's like brilliant. crane oh, shots and zoom lenses, and oh, yeah. hold on, I gotta say this. I made a note of this earlier. Um, it's one of my favorite things of the film is that it uh, it's a practical decision, I'm sure, but it creates it a very surreal vibe that I really love, which is. Um, you're, they shot in nature in the woods, but then occasionally, out of nowhere, it's a set. You know, like I think when she, the babysitter's lying down and they're talking, that's a set. There's like, I don't know, three or four times where it's like clearly a set. And again, maybe it's practical, but it just does add to the surrealism. Yeah. Like the lighting's kind of wrong in a cool way. And like, you know, uh, so. Um, Cause that's, that's really cool. the heart of the film, you know, is, yeah. is you're, it's, it's even more than interstitials. It's like, Again, that mythos, the mythology of it all, where it's this, you know, like a barrel-chested man who's barely is wearing like a loincloth is going through the woods on a journey. You know what I mean? With these moments of of hitting civilization and a pool and stuff like that. So, uh, and it's filmed so beautifully, and 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 just the inherent weirdness. Let's not forget the slow motion scene with the babysitter oh, yeah. and the uh, the horse obstacle course. <laughs> no, the obstacle course. You know, like yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, and then. Yeah, yeah. There's a reason why those feel different, like which I guess we'll get into whenever we start talking about the behind the scenes. Yeah, let's 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 also talk a little bit about just the just the source material. Let's just go back to that for a minute. So back to basics. So John Cheever wrote this short story for the New Yorker, uh, which is the source material for this film. It's twelve pages, isn't that right? Isn't that what what twelve pages only? Yeah, (laughs) and uh, from my understanding, John Cheever. You know, he writes a lot about, you know, uh, suburban malaise, you know, the sort of false facade of the 50s yeah. and 60s. This suburban. is his milieu. Yeah, totally. Totally. 100%. He's the check off of the suburbs or something <laughs> yeah. has yeah. been said, you know, of him. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, this story, the actual short story itself opens with several di- different characters, maybe a majority of the characters from the short story from the story uh, complaining of being hung over, you know, and so right yeah, away, I read like, that. That's great. what's yeah. That's what's kind of starting everything, kicking everything off in the story, and um, that it's like we are in the midst of one of those depressive, you know, sort of uh, malaise of of like a you know hangover after a major bender, you know, and and that's really mm-hmm. once we get to that first pool scene right in the beginning, as you were talking about earlier, that's one of the first things you hear from the characters as they comment on the hangover and how much they drank last night. He's drinking throughout this whole fucking movie. Um, and so that's kind of a huge part of it. A huge part of it is that sort of hangover, uh, you know, d- that sort of daytime daymare sort of hangover. Yeah, well, that's a yeah, well said. And actually, just um, <laughs> they do make a point in the film at some point right towards the end at the public pool where it's clear that like uh, Nettie has been drink drinks often 
at the tavern because like the guy who owns the bar or whatever uh, is one of the very disappointed people and uh, people who are very, um, you know, um, dismissive of him. You know, he says something like, "We, you'd be there four or five days a week and you never paid your bill, you know? So it's like, so I guess what I'm saying is like, Nettie was a big lush. And so we're getting into like real archetypes of the kind of World War II generation yeah. male. Uh, it does, and, yeah, that generation, yeah. Like, it's pretty wild. Like I remember, that's one thing I picked up whenever we go to the Rose Bowl to like look at old, like, uh, you know, all the antiques Boom. there and stuff. Everything from the 50s, they had so many ashtrays, just like party accoutrements, like ashtrays and like sure. shakers parties. and special glasses. And like they just, they partied, you know, oh, yeah. like. Yeah, I guess. I guess that's partying. <laughs> no, I know. No, totally. And, you know, I have been rewatching Mad Men. And it is kind of a coincidence that we're doing this, but um, you know, it's famous that like, did human beings drink that much? If you're watching Mad Men, it's like, I'm, you know, they're they're very strict on uh, accuracy on that show, and it's like I think they drank at that volume. It's like, uh, well, I've already started. Like that's a term, and it's in the film actually. Like a term they use a lot in Mad Men is in uh, the swimmer. It's like uh, she's already started, you know, yeah. which means basically like she's already five deep. You know, and then and now she's joining us at this party. It's like Jesus fucking Christ, and she's yeah, like, yeah. "Don't you lie down?" And it's like, also, it's just like a red flag, like depression. It's like it's not partying. It's like especially the way yeah. Nettie was drinking. Yeah. It's just like I, it's just yeah. like kill the pain, kill the pain. You know, I remember there was a lot of that with like my my. I've been, con- been confirmed by my uh, my granddad that that was like part of the routine back then as a businessman was just to like you know drink. A lot, but it's kind Day of there. Drink. Like I think, like, like drinking in American culture has been a thing since like the old West times. You know, well, just, it I is think that, that like people. It's that World War II generation. You know, I mean, for sure, right? Yeah, I remember there was like some Ken Burns thing on alcohol, and it was like talking about how it was German beer culture where people would just drink beers all day, but it was like Ooh. really low alcohol content mixed with like English whiskey and Irish whiskey culture. So they would just drink all day, but they would drink hard alcohol all day. And that's sort of like where American so drinking awful. culture came from, you know. Wow. Also, yeah. depression. Yeah. It's to get us to this other main topic of the film and what we were going to discuss. Just basically uh, partying is happening, but also just having drinks alone and stuff like that, you know. And um, or well, just even – hey, or it's like yeah. seeing an old friend like, well, what, what's the first thing we do? Like, hey, I haven't seen you in a while. Poor, poor, Takes me poor. a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Know? And so I mean, what I was going to say is just like um, we're talking about the World War II generation. And this topic I'm bringing up, and then I'll shut up, is just like um, the disillusionment by the time you get to the mid-60s of they had a harrowing experience with World War II and, this, and the Depression, which we can't even relate to unless their future is going that way. Um, then And then you want to have a good time in life. You're getting older and you want to actually calm down and have a nice home. And you do figure out a better life than you had with the Depression and, and, and World War II. But then, like 10 years later, from the mid-50s to the mid-60s, you're like, this isn't working. And that was happening for millions. Mm-hmm. And that's films, the film is a reflection of that. Somewhat. Right. The facade, right, yeah. right. There's a lot of the... try, And it was crafted by... You know Madison Avenue to that dream, right? Of like, sure, the uh, you know the Donna Reed lifestyle, the Ozzy and Harry, whatever that sort of like. But people wanted it because they wanted really some normalcy can't. from the horrors of the war, right? Like now we're going to stay well, home and, and the have depression. Like children, and, yeah, right. I don't right. think we can understand this. Like, and I guess what I'm saying 
I always mention this, but like, there's such a hard boomerang that people don't understand unless they lived it. It's like, yeah. you had the depression and it was immediately followed by World War II. So it was like almost 20, it was like 15 hard years and they wanted to have something different and they wanted to take control of their lives. And they had some vague idea. You're absolutely right. Madison Avenue like filled the blank of like, what, what's a happy life look like? It looks like this, you know, like a new washing machine. And then, <laughs> but then by the mid sixties, it's like, what the hell is this? And it's like, drink, fuck this. Like, I'm not happy. Yeah. I don't, I'm not having a good relationship with my wife. I'm going to sleep around. I hate my kids. You know, it's just like, like, um, yeah. and, and again, I'm just saying that's what this film is a snapshot of, in my opinion, totally. a very concrete one. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It feels like Frank Perry goes there a little bit too. Just like how modern society creates like a psychosis inside your brain, you know, like diary of a yeah, mad housewife and yeah. like, um, yeah, yeah. You, yeah. Yeah. Play it as it lays, <laughs> you know, yeah. like there is that sort I mean, of like last summer. Well, if you want, yeah. Oh, I was just going to say that was, that was their next film. Total side note. I mean, I'm a huge Frank Perry slash Eleanor fan and, um, like, uh, yeah, I mean, this is like one of his, their big works. And like, if you just do the math, you've got, yeah, mad housewife play it as it lays. And uh, it all kind of fell apart, and they wound up doing, or he did, uh, um, Mar uh, Mommy Tearist. Yeah. But, like, I'm just saying right now, formally, I would recommend to everyone who likes the show, uh, check out Frank and Eleanor Perry films. They're very rewarding. Yeah. They're very hip, especially last summer. I would do a uh, one fucking hour on last e summer. Even even right. Mommy Dearest is still dealing with those same issues. It's true. Right? Like, it's true. You know? it's I mean, they're all, they're, all, yeah. they're all gems. They're all gems. They're all gems. Yeah, they're all gems. They're all yeah. gems. I mean, yeah, but gem. last summer really deserves another set of eyeballs. But uh, and, and that was, well, actually, maybe let's spend another second here as we're, you know, rattling the, the pinball around. Um, so this is weird. So it's it's Frank and Eleanor Perry. They had a couple uh, hit-ish indie films in the early 60s, and they got hired to adapt the Cheever short story. And um, so she wrote the screenplay and expanded it from the 12 pages, and he, Frank, did the, the directing. But this is weird, and I didn't know this till today. Uh, this was released in 68, and it made more sense to me that it was 68. Like, it's time for the Hollywood screen to get a little more frank and a little more sour, you know, right? But this yeah. was shot in 66. Right. And then right. this is a it's a total Frankenstein movie. It was shot in 66. And then the this kind of asshole sounding producer, mogul guy went, "You're fucking up my movie." And he he fired the Perrys. They were out they were frozen out. And he took the film to a young director, Sidney Pollack, who's very talented. And they did really it's almost like a 60 40 you know it's like 40 percent um uh, pollock and just to give you guys an understanding there was a lot of reshoots and uh there's a ton of recasting and i think this one's very significant um the the woman the, the penultimate kind of well one of the last pulls the is that woman she meets solo yes the mistress and that's janice rule janice rule replaced a shot scene with barbara loden who's famous uh for her film, you know, Wanda, which is an epic and which we should do someday. Love but I was reading some notes because uh, Eleanor Perry has this great like write up on the uh, the hell behind the scenes of making this film. And, huh. and just uh, the producer didn't like Barbara Loden. I don't know why. And I'd love to see that alternate scene that's, oh that God. she's the star of. But that is a Sidney Pollack shot scene. And I think a lot of the um, scenes um, like they replaced like two or three other people. The chauffeur so, so, was uh... So originally Billy D. Billy Williams. D. Williams. <laughs> yeah, even the chauffeur really? they reshot that. Like, yeah, yeah isn't that what? Why did reshoot Whoa. that scene? That's a great scene. That is ultimate cringe. Like that that the 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 chauffeur's just like 
yeah and the guy before me uh he had a really good rhythm right let me guess and it's just like tense yeah. you know um just a great 60s moment you know of uh <laughs> you know culture racial clash but like um yeah so anyway just know and i, I don't know how i, think, I feel i think i Pollard huge... too like he shot all we shot all those connective tissue scenes that we're talking about that we liked all the photography on, i don't know like... if it's all of them i'm a little confused I, I that's what I had read was that I mean yeah really I think I needed some or something I think huh? like that, that like sure. the, the Perry's had different transitional scenes in my and, that, and it does make sense to I mean like intellectually that makes sense to me you know because it feels so different looks so different you know mm-hmm. those crane shots to the trees and stuff and some of the like lyrical stuff where he's like sh- silhouetted walking into the woods down a country that's, lane or whatever that's more Pollock is what people are saying that was I my wouldn't say that. But, uh, I wouldn't no. say that. Not his oh. style. I'm saying. I think it's a little bit like um, they didn't finish the transitions, something like that. But then wholesale Pollock. I, I guess I'm just saying you're guaranteed that's a Pollock scene. Pollock scene. Excuse me, where it's noted that there are switchouts, like the Barbara Loden switchout. So right. I think he helped, right. but um, I still think there's a lot of Frank Perry in the film. But anyway, it's it's just one of those weird things. Then it comes out in 1968. Um, and of course it was thrown into the bus by the studio because in 1968, they had no idea how to deal with this stuff, you know, and of course it bombed. And I think just one little reference to 1968 in another film, very similar, we should do it someday is pretty poison, Uh, which is another film that's like maybe a year or two ahead of its time in, in, in finding an audience. Pauline Kael championed it uh, majorly, uh, the only person who did really pretty poison. And there's a couple trippy idyllic nature scenes in that film, if you recall, yeah when perkins is is yeah okay he sleeps in the yeah. woods mm-hmm. after the murder of the mom and sorry spoiler but like uh, anyway <laughs> it's just uh 1968 is a very strange time it's a what's that term an echo tone you know yeah. where um like there's that sour late 60s is coming up against the more formal classic filmmaking um and uh it's a great combination you know and uh anyway rambling also another side note uh backstory is um that Burt Lancaster wasn't the first choice. Did you guys read right. about that? I didn't. William no. Holden. Wow. Uh, was was definitely a, like a, the priority. That was like they're really moving forward with him. And then it became kind of rando when it was things like Paul Newman, which is so wrong because yeah. he's too young. It's, just, yeah, it's so yeah. wrong. Yeah, so wrong. Yeah. But Burt actually read it. And I don't know where Burt's career was quite at that time, but he was a real champion and he loved it. And I'll quote, he said, it's uh, my favorite performance and my favorite film. Yep. Like he he was very and he and he paid for the last day shoot. He put down ten thousand dollars to get the film, yeah, uh, finished. So I like that feeling because and he did is a great job. It's like sometimes I like this thing where it's like the actor uh, actress they know it's it's like the big film of their lives and they're giving that. their all. I love and that. and the and performance does. is so powerful. Exactly, he does. How about I, yeah? I was just gonna like say him also- like just wallowing in the pool. You know, go ahead. Oh no, no, you're right. I mean, he he gives an incredibly nuanced talk performance. To me. Again, let's for, talk about Bert. Yeah, for an old school sort of Hollywood guy, as you were saying, stepping into this. I mean, you know, you also can read behind the scenes stuff where this guy works his ass off. He's he's working out every day for like months to build up to this role. Mm-hmm. He's in incredible shape for you know whatever he is, fifty two, fifty three, fifty something. Yeah, yeah, for this and and uh, he yeah he gives he delivers an incredible performance. God, I also it's so read, good. 
I also read, just tacking on to what you were saying about the producers firing the Perrys, I also think that the relationship, what I heard, between Lancaster and the Perrys, or at least just Frank, was really also uh, strained. And I think that might have played a part of it. it Yeah, fraught. Yeah, I think that also played a part in the Perrys probably also being dismissed from the movie. I just No, it was. I would would wager. But uh, yeah, no, he's... But I think it's going to be like, I, I, I would think, tiny comment on that, and then run with it is um, it probably is one of those things where like uh, great work comes out of tension. Like Godfather's set was very tense. Right. Thoughts. Perhaps. It's very I tense. I, I, I don't know. It's like, I, it, it is interesting that, you know, someone like Bert, you know, from his generation, I mean, the movie is a kind of about a guy from that generation and you know he he must have he must have really identified with it he must have identified with that character in a major major way in order to go that far with it you know in in that time period too it's like you don't really hear about maybe i'm wrong a lot of people in 1966 sort of taking a role to that extreme i don't know i don't know no it's daring no exactly well also just being well how about this just let's articulate uh the kind of uh extreme uh, you know, like film role, it was his only wardrobe was 17, like blue <laughs> nylon swim trunks. You know, that's how he looks for the entire, he never puts on a sweater or anything. And, um, and God, and then he gets cold. Yeah. There's nothing, there's nothing like that first he- chill he gets like, <laughs> it's just like, but I gotta swim and wear the thing. And it's like, you are fucking nuts, dude. <laughs> so I think no, he so covers he- himself up with a book at one point too. He's like, make it with Well, He's got something he's covering himself up. No, it's his trunks. It's his trunks. Yeah, he, he was trying to kind of he was trying to kind of level with the you know be on the same level as the meeting, nudists, meeting them halfway, <laughs> meeting them <laughs> halfway. Right, right. But that scene's great too. Just to now we're at the nudist scene because that's Let's really one of the one of the first, I think, unless correct me if I'm wrong, real sort of subtle references to this guy being you know a tragic sort of loser. Absolutely, because, I, because like like something like this, I'm not giving him any more. You know, yes, as he's yeah, walking yeah, towards yeah. them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, and, and so, so you're watching this movie again, going back to me probably being 20 years old, watching this movie for the first time, being like, this is going to be really sentimental, you know, and then turning mm-hmm. it off before the nudist scene, probably. Mm-hmm. It's like, but when you really start getting to that moment in the movie is when you're starting to realize that, no, this guy isn't, you know, uh, just some bored rich guy, you know, no, he is a very deeply disturbed man that is on the on the loose you know that everyone has abandoned you know wandering and, the uh, woods yeah yeah wandering yeah. alone yeah, yeah no no exactly it's not like um well he doesn't have a home you know actually can i let's just do this for a second if you if you guys don't mind um i have some theories on uh, the prequel okay i'm trying I, I just was trying to visualize it this this uh, today um right because it is, is intentionally a, kind of vague right they left right they, or, yeah. yeah so it's, there's a lot of interpretations as to like what his deal yeah. is right yeah, yeah it makes yeah. it really fun no totally and you know what i mean though is an even more specific thing like where did he wake up that morning you know what i mean <laughs> so 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 i just have it's not a big theory it's just like a theory where he's um you know, and I grew up in Westchester, and it's very similar to this area, Connecticut. And it's just like I could see everything. We know for a fact that everything goes to hell. Wife leaves, kids hate him. Yeah, uh, it's probably foreclosure. Yeah. he definitely got fired. Huge debt. Yeah, um, burning all the bridges. I'll never get work again. So, um, in whatever industry <laughs> he was in, but no, but but so I think what happened, what we got here in the prequel is he has to get an apartment, like a studio, like an Osning. 
yeah. you know, by the train, like, you know, <laughs> like really humble, 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 like divorced dad. Oh, that's where Sally Draper lives, Netflix. right? Yeah. Austining. Well, the, the Draper's had a house there. No, <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I, it's not very, ah, whatever. Forget what I'm saying. I'm saying by the train tracks, it's very slight, slimy. And that's where the prison is and everything. Uh, Austining and everything. Anyway, what I'm saying is like some kind of humble duplexy kind of whatever place, an apartment literally uh, is where he's reduced and he's like sort of able to pay the bills. And then he has this thing. He's he gets um, it almost it almost is like the, he reaches a point that's not dissimilar to um, I'm so tired. Lost Highway, where he has a breakdown. Do you like this theory where he has a breakdown the night before and he drinks to shit? And he just completely he cracks and he has a lost highway moment where he goes, well, good morning. I guess I should go back. Uh, I gotta go home. You know what I mean? And so he just goes like, well, I'll just go back and I'll say hi to my friends. I haven't seen them in a long time. Like he completely has somehow had a mental, what is that? Fugue, like a psychotic fugue. fugue. State. It's a fugue state. Fugue right? state. Thank you. Yeah. And he cracks yeah. because he's so depressed and drinking to death in a, in, a, in a studio apartment that he just goes well uh, and then he just goes and he, and he and he walks or takes the train or something and um that's well, my me, prequel to the theory let me let me let me simplify that and just say that uh maybe this was mad men maybe it's not i'm conflating shows or movies but it's like the guy who gets fired at the job and then comes back on monday like nothing ever happened right and oh, that's seinfeld down, <laughs> right but you know what i'm saying <laughs> I'm like no yeah no of course of course it's it's the guy that comes back to work who's been fired and everybody knows and there's a screw loose and then everyone's like oh shit he's just sat down and is back to work like nothing that did happened. happen to don draper in a way like no but yeah. i was thinking more of like um, a pathetic character and like I, a jack lemon character and something or oh i, I see knows. what you're saying you know some, something yeah like days of wine and time. roses yeah 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 where it's like uh, you've yeah, seen I that character that trope of somebody right. who just is but just, just like um for him to get so far gone like like there's so much that's mysterious like i bet he didn't talk poetically like that you know <laughs> like 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 right. like it's a sign that like you know like you know what they say like when your dreams become more and more abstract and kind of like mythology you're more insane and you're and when you just have regular dreams you're like yeah just a person and like like oh i got right. out of a car in my dream whatever but like he's just completely snapped and he's talking he poetically and mythically yeah, I thought he was sort of tapping into his like mat, his ad, you know, brain. Was he that man? I believe he was, right? I couldn't tell. I I don't know. I I mean, I kind of feel like I've read things that imply Madison Avenue, but I I don't know. Maybe 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 I missed that. I was trying yeah, to. It's very subtle. Yeah, yeah. It's weird because I, I think I read something on. I think I read something online that labeled him as like an ad man. I don't know if it was on Wikipedia or what, but. But then in the movie, I couldn't recall a moment that referenced it. So yeah. Um, but yeah. Anyway, so I thought maybe he was like tapping into that. Um, rewatching it this time, I thought maybe he was tapping into that, like because he's painting this world of like, no, they're at home playing tennis right now, and you know, like yeah, right, they're doing great. Like everything is peachy king, and it's not just like it's not just uh, he's the fi- idyllic fifties. He's also tapping into his like you know ad brain to be like, I'm painting this like beautiful picture of happiness you know? it fits yeah it fits it works yeah no, it does um, fit absolutely but also the willoughby thing you know um because he does mention there's that brutal line where he's like um when i was a kid everyone was so nice to each other you know and it's that kind of willoughby <laughs> episode you know twilight zone of that just he's real. i think he's just really i don't think uh anything relating to his previous life is happening in those kind of uh 
you know, his extorting, like, like, it's just like, um, he's, uh, he's regressed intensely as, as, as mentally, you know, right. to, to, to like, fig, to like him reading Kipling as a boy, that kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. It's not like clear if like his, you know, his deterioration, like led to his, his, like whatever mental deterioration he had, alcoholism going insane or whatever, like, did that lead to him just like wandering the woods, you know, and then, then his life fell apart or did his life no, and house so. everything fall apart? And then I'm just saying it's open to interpretation like that. Uh, there is yeah. multiple yeah. ways to look at it. Like, yeah. that, you know, yeah. which, you know, which led to the other, but yeah, it's just that. Yeah. And, I think and, he was and, just a shitty guy and an alcoholic, Yeah, you know, and because the thing is, there's narcissism. That's a, and he says this shit where it's like my chest is made of gold, you know. I'm paraphrasing, you know, like right. he's like I'm a special man, you know, and that's well, like male is, ego stuff. Right. I mean, is, he could have fallen is. apart because they talk about his daughters like disrespecting him and laughing at him and stuff, and mm-hmm. so you could you could imagine a world where like he had already kind of lost his marbles a little bit, and they th- and that that's part of the reason why his daughters were like partying and like living recklessly is because daddy already had like it was a joke you know yeah, i think he was just a bad parent and i think that they're a, an early boomer sign of like daddy's this big macho daddy man you know like like they're chipping <laughs> away and mocking the male yeah. archetype of you know machismo and right. um you know and all that's uh, the well, the archetypal well, thing that he was i think it was just uh, i think he was i don't i think and i'll shut up is i think he was a boring <laughs> normal breakdown but he had a very exciting strange post or mid breakdown i think he was just a regular kind of an everyman of this type i think that's what cheever was doing where it's like and even the ad lines for the poster in the movie it's just like do you see you know yourself in him you know no you're right. like i think he had a normal breakdown but he yeah. got very strange and fantastical like yeah. mentally people do sometimes. i thought i saw that i noticed that in the poster too when you talk about the swimmer will you talk about yourself yeah and yeah i didn't really it's funny because i don't identify with this any of this stuff really at all you know what i mean like his life Wait, his, you didn't own it you, of, you yeah. didn't own a hot dog cart at one point because i thought you did well, <laughs> you get my it, wagon it definitely <laughs> does color like my the like in the 20s man yeah <laughs> i know none of us it, it is weird it's like project it's like it's like really hard a lot of movies that i like i project myself into those situations and i just find it like impossible with with this one you know well different yeah. kind of person yeah, totally. And I, I just to throw it on what you were saying earlier, Tom, is just like I, I think a hundred percent this movie is just about the the male, the masculine panic of you know uh, of trying to you know keep up appearances and su- suppressing yeah. all of that inner fucking trauma of being someone and in failure the generation and failure and all that stuff. I mean that that is a hundred percent what it is. One thing I wanted to say too, real quick, is just the idea of you know John Cheever, from what I understand also was a pretty uh insanely debilitated alcoholic himself which uh he's perfectly depicted in the film Uh, he has a little cameo as the lone drunk guy floating in the pool on like one of those floaties i'll cut to the scene of it i saw that yeah please do yeah Yeah, you know eleanor eleanor perry's at that same pool i think too there are two cameos oh wow wow. is that the big pulp the big pool party I think so. Yeah, it's just yeah, which right, is right really raucous. Like uh, there's a guy that. standing on top of the building yeah. who like falls off of it, and like yeah, yeah, all yeah. the wild dancing and stuff. Really, and, really fucking drunk. You know? <laughs> yeah, uh, they, they started early. Yeah, right, but it's only them. like two. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was just gonna say like one thing on top of this culture, right? Because the culture I think is depicted very 
spot on in this in terms of that region and everything. I was watching it with mm-hmm. Ramy, you know, one fucking hour, uh, uh, Ramey. One fucking hour, Ramey. One That's fucking hour, Ramey. Yeah. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, from last week's episode, right? Um, yeah. she, uh, uh, she was sort of telling me about a little bit about that Connecticut history there and that the fifties, oh. the fifties and sixties, I guess, I don't know where she knows this from, but she was saying me that she was telling me that there, there was a lot of like, like swinger couples in that time, you know, a lot of key parties, you know what I'm talking well, about? You know, the ice storm is set in Connecticut exactly. too. Exactly. You know, right? I mean, exactly. So like very incestuous, very boozy, very complicated. Everyone's mm. sleeping with everyone, everyone mm. and everyone's intermingling. And I think that if we probably pulled apart all of the different pool scenes, we'd probably find a lot of subtlety that speaks more to that. Like everyone is probably fucking everyone in this movie. Yeah, I hear you. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Well, actually, well, here, well, here's a good example. It's like uh, he had been sleeping with the character Janice Rule when they had that big scene together. But there's that other scene where um, uh, this woman in- informs Nettie that uh, oh, she's no longer with Hank or whatever. And she's like, eh, dinner tonight? And she's like hubba hubbing with him. You know, and it's just like, uh, yeah, it's fucking suburban Babylon. It seems like, right? You know what I mean? And, and you see that anybody, he's like with a babysitter, Joan Rivers. You know, he's like he's hitting on everybody. He is well because he's an iron god. But no, getting back <laughs> to Mad Men, it's actually um, it reminds me of Pete. Actually, if, ever, if any fans are out there, but I'm watching this period where uh, Pete is fucking all through because they moved to the suburbs. Him and his wife, and um, yeah, he's just he's just like. Who am I fucking next? Not predatory, yeah. but just yeah. like it's a given. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like, well, and then I'm going to sleep with someone new. Like, maybe it's her. It's just like a given. It's part of the the deal. Well, up, what, up you were say, what you were saying about that scene with the mistress, right? The the one you were just talking about. That's very obviously a key key moment in the movie because that's when it really kind of goes into the third act. I think right after that, and that and and in that scene. That's when all the illusions are shattered because it's, yeah. it's you know he's not a fucking stud you know she rejects him outright and he's he's totally um, that's where everything turns that's when he starts to get that little yeah. chill and everything and he's more and more pathetic and 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 for me you not, loved it he's screaming that's what saying. he's just you loved it that's a that's a great moment great moment in that that's some film. good Burt stuff yeah <laughs> yeah totally so i, I think it's, it's up it, there with um my daughters love me yeah exactly or my wagon yeah well uh, of course my hot dog wagon i'll pay twice what it costs yeah i know yeah that, that's very mythology too like um you know like some kind of chariot thing that has a significance of his um of his uh of his significance like i made a thing i made that with my i painted that myself you yeah know, it's i know like, that's so funny like it's and it's, it's totemic it's this totemic thing for him which is so strange because it's the stupid hot dog wagon that's what i was gonna part. say but it's so <laughs> that's brilliant uh just you it know, again, is brilliant subtlety and an exposition of like for, it's so perfectly written because it's like to to want that hot dog wagon yeah. again is insane right that yeah. that's the thing that you know pulls it's, you in. It's uh, it relates to um, rosebud sled in, in a sense, you know, to it's like a, oh, like yeah. applying a lot of emotional significance to these yeah. weird objects. Well, it's like a symbolic connection that he had with his family. You know, he's, he remembers pulling his daughters around in that but wagon. It's so it's but, but 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 the same thing is he made it. 
It's like he like he mended it. He painted it himself. He wrote hot dog in paint. <laughs> but I but, want that but, thing, by the way. But I know me too. But right. it's actually the one. perfect it's the perfect choice because it's yep. it's the perfect little prop for anybody around you to be like, Oh, that guy's fucking crazy because he wants his fucking That's, hot dog cart back. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. That you were absolutely no. The guy balks. Like He's like, "Are you kidding me? This piece of junk, hundred dollars." Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was like you know fifteen hundred dollars back then. Right, right. It's you're talking about Homer. Like how this is like Homeric journey. It just reminds me that in the Odyssey, like he carved his own bed. You know, he's, he's trying to get his bed. His bed has been like taken away from him by whoever's usurped him in his house. And like, that's right. his one thing. He's like trying to get this bed back that he's oh, carved there you go. Tree. So yeah. It's, it seems like a direct reference by uh But in our film, let's Harry. have it be a hot dog stand. A hot dog <laughs> wagon. Hot fresh wieners. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it's a great scene. And anyways, they love hot dogs. I interrupted, but like, like you know, like uh, there's some really killer exclamations that he makes. Yeah. You know, um, and you loved it. You were saying that with the mistress, um, you that's a brutal scene. Like, actually, when I was younger, when I, I first saw it, I thought, God, I'm kind of loving this film and I wouldn't have expected to. Maybe kind of like what you were saying, Evan. That's what I'm saying. Um, I was like, this is actually really cool in a different way, you know, than I yeah. was used to. But I found that scene sagged a little bit for me because, um, I mean, I'm older now and it, I was getting through it better. But like it does uh, change the Which pace one? because the. Uh, the, the big scene with the mistress, the, you loved it, you know, this meeting Janice rule. But um, I just wonder maybe like it, it like there, it felt so different to me always when I've seen it in the past and to know now that it's actually uh, a very pivotal scene it's by a, a completely scene. different director that kind of, I don't know, it kind of, it didn't, the pacing's a little weird. It's uh, I think it goes on a little long and it mm -hmm. kind of, uh, there's, there is a clear pacing of that film. There's right. the, you know, you're going from pool to pool and it kind of um, really just stops the wagon there for a long time. Yeah. And uh, it is good and rewarding. And it is important because like you said, it is very pivotal and you get into the third act because he really starts cracking because I got to say it ends with that incredible moment of wordless acting by Bert where he's in the pool and he's like mostly submerged and he's just staring blankly at the water you know you remember that it's like a close-up of him he's yeah. so lost because it's again like um you know it's like the cracking starting to happen in um you know uh lost highway where it's just like none of this you know like uh paper macheing over all my problems worked like I, I was getting there for a minute with the girl, the blonde girl, like that was kind of working. Yeah, I was young yeah, again yeah. or whatever, but like that didn't even work out. But he's like, it's okay, Lucinda River. But she really cracked him because um, they got into some real shit and they obviously had a very heavy relationship. You know, that for him and for her wasn't, that was a significant relationship. And I think that what's implied there is that that's a moment where it's like they were so close and I think they really, really were into each other that um i think it could have been like i'm getting divorced i'm going to go with you and he didn't do it he choked and he just you know what i mean like like it wasn't just a fling for him or her and uh, that's what makes it so brutal and that's what actually allows the escaping uh through the cracks of you know uh fantasy yeah. because it was so significant for him and it stings so much not just that she was insulting because she was insulting him at the end um to hurt him because he hurt her so much yeah it wasn't seems like incredibly hurt by yeah. Him. yeah 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 it wasn't a failure you know it wasn't just like you can't get it up in bed it wasn't that kind of thing right. like uh because it, it follows her um uh dealing with it's a great performance of uh seeing him trudging up a lot a lot a lot of bad me memories and feelings in her you know sure. and she slams that door 
that has almost like an exaggerated sound effect. Oh, it does. It definitely you caught that? Yeah. yeah. And I did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like Texas yeah. Chainsaw Massacre door. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's I, really every episode. Movie. I know it's true, but that that is yeah. really when the, that's really when the movie, um, yeah. you know, starts to. Really I think the next scene is surreal crossing stuff. the street. Yeah. And can we just throw do a shout out for crossing the street montage? The zooms, the zooms, the incredible editing. You know, I like know. Oh, and, pulling it's, and then him, pulling out with the car. Yeah. And then there's like a teenager with like a banana peel at him. Yeah. It's like, oh, and he's like, and he's cold and cowering, and he looks fucking crazy. Yeah. Like, like you see this now in the cities where like there's a guy who's barely clothed. He's like, oh, what's going on? You know, and he's just so completely gone, and. I remember when I first saw it. That's when I went. I love this film. I agree. And then it's followed by the by the public pool crowding. Um, but I was like, because it hits so hard. Because you have a scene hit so hard like that, because you've had all those beautiful idyllic, beautifully shot scenes that we were talking about. All those yeah. transitions between the pools, and and and, and you're lulled into his fantasy almost like yep. squirrels and the sunshine, and it is so beautiful. And it's like, oh, I love this. And my it's perfect like body. Yeah, my perfect body. Yeah, and, and, and then it's just like teenager throws a banana peel at you as they, <laughs> you know, almost hit you, and he's like shivering, like, oh, and it's so brutal. And then, of course, followed by an unforgettable moment that really stay with me. In my we'll get to that rewatching of uh, yeah. the pool, the public yeah. pool. Let's get to yeah. it now. Let's do pub, yeah. let's public pull it. Yeah, I was just like, say, uh, show me, show me between your toes. Yeah, <laughs> I was just gonna say um, the the uh, crossing the road scene absolutely amazing. Like you were saying, the editing uh, is really on fire there, and it, it really is that moment when you were saying like you lock in with this movie, and you're like, holy shit! Like th this is where we're going now. We're going, and it's about to get dark as shit. And <clears throat> yeah, and that that public pool scene, man. Like I was saying earlier, it's that you can't for some guy for somebody who probably came from the life that he came from wh wherever he came from and wherever his status symbol is i can't imagine what it would be like for someone like that of that class structure to be he would never be caught dead there dead there and so it's really never be kind caught of dead like, there so that that also really just works super well that's true the movie. it is yeah. compounding it's not like like there's a little bit of class in the film that's referenced you know what i mean like uh, oh, his descent his yeah. descent includes going to a lower class. Even even um, uh, the bang, what is it? The bang wieners or whatever. The like they're a little, the bizwangers are lower class than, um, the nudists are pretty much the top, they're right? Top. And then the bizwangers are kind of like, the guy owns like um, uh, a chain of air conditioning businesses or something. They're, they're not like, even uh, on my Christmas card list. Yeah. Exactly, that's what he says. But then it gets even lower class with the people who ran the tavern that he overdrank, you know, because it, it was like they're like they're downtown. All those people are bum money work for downtown. He's bum fifty cents for them to get into the pool. There's yeah, two that's how he knows the families that he's meeting up with there, right? There's two couples that he yeah, kind of owes right. something to, right? Yeah, because they both because he frequented their downtown businesses, like they're you know um, middle class people, you know. So like uh, no, so so there's a descent there. So there's some kind of interesting thing. I don't know if we need to elaborate, but just like there's this thing of like. The idyllic world that you can live in at that high stratosphere if you're rich enough you know what i mean like there's there's that can happen for you like yeah. like that, really the nudists are insane like they make it very clear the rolls royce yeah and by the way i think yeah. i looked it up that rolls royce now would be like priceless you know yeah. like oh, yeah. and they're just the grounds you know and um and uh 
he wasn't even up there because he actually it's funny their house is not that far from the public pool so he's doing good but he he does climb up the hill to get to his house i know and it has those nice uh tennis courts and stuff and it's, it's nice, nice but i'm just saying it's not the nudist you know it's like right like they're just there's references to the the stress uh, status you know right, it's interesting right. it's an interesting dynamic yeah that's, I, that's I, with everything else let's let's <laughs> let's let's quickly touch on that final scene because great you film because th then the movie just fucking goes full on mario bava you know for the uh I know. For the last, uh, I know. The last, uh, well, that's a set. Like that's a set. Yeah. Like the 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 um the grounds of the house is a set, so it does take on this kind of like Hercules in the haunted world it kind of look. Does. <laughs> it totally. Yeah, does. yeah. <laughs> Good call, yeah. young Baba. Yeah. I, and I love that. I relish. And then his posturing, even at the door as he's pounding. It very. And weird. I think they even exaggerate the pounding sound, you know. But the way he's postured is almost like um, a sculpture of Greek mythology, you know, like, like, yeah. like you know, it's but so brilliant. Out, and shout out to brilliant fucking choice because it's a it's a callback to talking about obviously the family playing tennis and it's just the ghost people playing tennis. Yeah, and that echoey, just, um, yeah, echoey chatter, oh. and it's like yeah. And of course, it has to torrentially rain. Yeah, and yeah, and that happens. You know, there'd be uh, sunbursts. I remember that very clearly. I mean, all over the place. But I remember in New York in the summer, it would just be oh, it's so nice, and it's just like you know, like that happens. But it's a um, nightmare. So and it works uh, too. no, no, right. And so right, right. In well, Baba world, water is a big part of the movie, right? You know, it's right. That's true. And, and the, it's pouring but, all over. No, but the leaves and the decay and the broken window. Actually, you know, I kept thinking of it's a wonderful life too today when I was mm. watching it. And uh, there's just some minor parallels. He's almost like a shitty Jimmy Stewart in It's a Wonderful Life. 100%. You know? Yeah. You guys well, know, you know what I'm saying? He, well, no, well, Burt right. Lancaster called, we forgot to touch on this, he calls the movie Death of a Salesman in, in Swim Trunks. That's what he calls the movie. Yeah, I love that. You know? That's so a great tag. kind of a little parallel. But no, on, but, but, but It's a Wonderful Life. Um, like, uh, there's what I mean is like when he's young, when, when uh, Stuart's young in the film, he's doing the thing like, what do you want? Uh, whatever, girl. It's like, uh, I'll lasso the moon down for you. You know, that kind of thing. And he's talking to that girl. He's like, let's go out. Let's take off her shoes and walk up in the falls. You know, and then she's like, you're crazy. I don't know if you remember all these scenes in It's a Wonderful Life. But he talks fancifully when he's like 20, 25 in the film. And um, it, it, it's cute there. And Jimmy's it works you know and it's charming and whimsical but like it's so gross and sour from this 55 year old man when he's like let's you and me escape and we go up and live you know and it's just it's and and, and also he's kind of a dick and like um he's uh he's just like um it's just this 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 negative parallel to like it's a wonderful life and also it's a wonderful life well he's also you a know, maniac like on the run like he's a home he's like a you know He's yeah. basically a man without a home running around, ranting and raving, diving in people's Yeah, pools. let's play with that theory, just circling back maybe to like the prequel thing, because I really, really love thinking that way. Let's go with, forget the Austin studio apartment. How about he subsists by stealing from uh, people's garages all throughout Westchester and, and Connecticut, Greenwich County. You well, know what I mean? What I was saying earlier, we don't know how long he's been just walking around out there. You know, is it really just one day or is this just like, is this just like he does this all the time? You know, That's all he around. does. Like, yeah. he like, he steals, you know, there's freezers in um, a lot of times, you know, with like cold cuts and stuff and, and, um, <laughs> He you know, lives in, in the in, woods, in garages, <laughs> yeah. and he lives in the woods because it's the summer. Yeah. And it's like, let's just—I like thinking that way. That's incredible. He and showers he decides in people's like, pools, you know, and that's what sure. It is. 
Yeah, no, God, totally. Oh my God. Yeah, and he and he is. That's why he doesn't even have a dime in his well, fucking loose nylon swim trunks. Let's let's quickly put a bow on this. I just want to say the the ending Please, is so so amazing. That I know we are, and the the, the ending is let's so amazing in terms of uh, like it it did evoke Twilight Zone to me. Uh, the ending in, in just the fact that yeah, you know, go, you know, yeah. What were you gonna say? Oh, just like just the tw- I was got me a lot thinking a lot about like the development of the twist ending. You know, like it's very New Yorker. Uh, you know, a short story. You know, yeah. like the lottery or like yeah. this one, obviously. And then, um, yeah, Twilight Zone obviously is always a twist ending, right? And uh, uh, Planet of the Apes, the twist ending. And I was just sort of, I don't know the history of the twist ending, but I do know that like sometimes you go back and read something like uh, Wuthering Heights, and you're surprised that there's not a twist. You know, like it's it's not a twist ending. Like, so I it just, seems at like some it's, point, it seems like it's leading to that kind of literary move. Yeah. Right. 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 So it's just interesting. I wonder about like the development of that and when it became a staple. Of, it's like, so film, funny you, you know? say that because when we, uh, Ramey and I were just watching it and her immediate reaction, I mean, she's seen it before obviously, but watching it again, she was like, planet of the apes, planet of the apes, the ending. It's very <laughs> planet of the apes. The ending. It is. It really well, is. even yeah. a lot of his exclamations, like "My daughters worship me," yeah. is not unlike pounding the mud. Like they blew it up, yeah. and he's and guess who's also shirtless? Yeah, yeah right. right. Well, he's Charlton got Heston. that acting style that is Charlton Heston, like Ben Hur, kind of like. It's a, uh, I call, I call it a act, yeah. acting, uh, acting with your chest, like barrel-chested male <laughs> acting. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Chest I love acting. it. <laughs> Chest acting, uh, yeah, acting the chest. I guess if you guys, if you guys will humor me here, just while we have five minutes, left please, five, yeah, which I can't it's, even believe. It's such a great film. Um, I, I just wanted to quickly touch on all the gimmicks that are in this film, uh, all the all the amazing technical stuff you're seeing in this movie. Just real quick, you know, there's there's Let's so many great split diopter. There's telephoto lens mm-hmm. shots. There's mm-hmm. filters up the yin yang crane shots, as you mentioned, slow motion, double exposure. There's also like really cool. Uh, I think it's one of the first shots in the beginning of the movie where it seems like it's not even a crane. It seems like the camera is actually being pulled on a rope, like up. Mm. You know, when you first when you when we first kind of see him go through the first pool, something yeah, like you see I out think, of like I, I, I think it was shooting shot through a mirror, maybe even. You know what I mean? Like in that opening stuff because it's very wobbly. You know, and I was wondering oh, if there yeah. a mirror like up and. And like that's oh, why it has like a little bit of shake to it, you know. Yeah, and the, 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 the telephoto thing was something that got me thinking that maybe it was Sidney Pollock that did the, those shots later because I think that's like a later '60s thing as to like getting the telephoto stuff. And like right. other Frank Perry stuff that I've seen is like has that more close TV style, like kind of like blocking of the actors. So, yeah. well, last know, summer gets last summer does get kind of lyrical though, mm-hmm. uh, in, in a it's similar true. way. It's true. You know, and who knows? With maybe nature. It's a, maybe it's a killer cinematographer, too. You don't know. We don't know. Oh, I think, you know what? That's a good point. I think the cinematographer is consistent, but I'm not sure. But th- yeah. that's a good point. You know. It might be he took a, a, a big lead on that, and he was given a lot of rope by both yeah. of them to just go ham on it, you know? Because um, whoever did it, it's uh, it's just it's a great looking film. It's true, you know? Oh. But uh, you're killing me with the Mario Bava, color. though. the it is Mario Bava it is Mario Bava ending but it has (laughs) literal killer tech killer Technicolor movie like seriously some of the best yes uh, yeah it does it's a beautiful film so I guess some of the bullet points are there's so much powerful shit going on here uh big ups to Bert's uh performance I could see it being a lesser film if it wasn't handled as well as he did Mm because he's the film 
you know, Bert's the film and the film's Bert. And uh, he really does nail it. And I think that he did probably relate to the character and he probably is just, you know, reiterate what you were saying. And um, I think that really comes through. And uh, I love hearing, like I said, when an actor or an actress really um, uh, cares about and because and, it's so rare in Hollywood, you know, like when they really have a personal investment in the performance and you can tell that he really cared. Uh, you know, that Tom, makes a I huge got- difference. Tom, I have yeah. to jam. I, I I have to jam your fucking head for a minute. The cinematographer <laughs> of the swimmer also shot Pretty Poison. Cracking up. Pretty oh, poison. oh, he did. Yeah. Case closed, motherfucker. <laughs> Case closed. Because no, because if you guys go, we should do Pretty Poison. By the way, as a '60s film, but uh, it's almost the same photography. Uh, like I said, it's when um, it's just when Anthony Perkins sleeps in the woods one night. God damn, dude. Had and Tuesday Weld is in another is is in Pretty Poison and also in Played as It Lays. That's right. That's right. And so is Perkins. Yeah. Right. So, Perkins. so uh, yeah. So we just have a few more minutes here. It's just uh, this went real fast. I'm just a big <laughs> fan. Um, I'm just looking at my dumb notes. Uh, I think we're good. I just you know I just got to shout out my wagon. That's my fucking wagon. <laughs> it's my hot dog wagon. You know, yeah, it, it really is. It that really that's is all I gotta the, say. The most underrated scene of that film is the idea. I completely of, forgot it. I was blown I like, away by it. A sidebar: I like when she's talking about how she she's doing computer dating. Oh, I was gonna know? say that. That's, it's the yeah. first mention yeah, of online great. dating. It's the origin. Yeah, I love that. It's dating. like it's just silly. All the kids are doing it. Oh no, no! Big shout out. Joan <laughs> Rivers is in it. First film performance, and I actually, you probably all read this today. We were researching was like. It's her first film, basically, and it took like a t- days to shoot her exchange with Bert. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about that. I, I doubt that. I, I'm sure <laughs> I think the whole. I'm just. I'm sure it's an exaggeration. But it took a long time. Yeah, right. But I guess um, she was saying that she was being pulled from Bert and and Frank, and they had different um, wow. approaches to the scene and the interaction. And I guess it's it sounds like another thing where it's a special film because Bert is actually involved in the direction. You can hear that from what the anecdote. Joan sang. So that's another kind of special care. There's like two people who really, there's nothing like a Hollywood film where a bunch of people give a fuck. That's, that's one of those films. Yeah, it's not like, you know, Marlon Brando on like uh, fucking, uh, yeah. what's that? Dr. Freshman? Moreau. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's no, I know. we should do that. Uh, it's more, it's more just, you know, the idea that everyone cares so much to make this. Yeah. Special. And that's, yeah. that's the thing. I think we're, I think we wind up doing, if we look back, a lot of films where everybody cares. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Next movie. Let's go. Okay. <laughs> All right. Yeah, but we can't recommend the swimmer enough. It's very rewarding. Yeah, David Schwimmer. Uh, everybody, thank you very much. That was uh, one fucking hour on the swimmer. Um, yeah, definitely check it out. Uh, I hope you all seen it by the time uh, uh, before watching this uh, one fucking hour. But definitely go back. It's and recommended. It. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go back and rewatch it if you haven't seen it in a while. Is it? It's, uh, it's on like Prime or something. I, yeah, I just, I just watched it on Prime. I actually also own the disc, which which allegedly has a two and a half hour or something uh, making of yeah. doc, which I haven't actually watched yet. So I, I got to watch that. that before. I know <laughs> I don't have it. He is the Blu-ray, but uh, couldn't get it. It's in. longer couldn't than the film. Longer than the movie. I, I am going to watch that. So, I do like when that, that Grindhouse put it. I like when something oh, oddball film gets released by somebody other than Criterion. I'm always like applauding. Yeah, exactly. I know. Good. Somebody else got a hold of it. Like, and they had the good taste. Like, yes, the, the I Drink Your Blood guys. 
yeah. have good taste that you guys yeah. slept on. You know, it's it, the fucking yeah. swimmer, yo. Exactly. My fucking wagon. I, I, I love that. Um, I wanted to also uh, apologize for last week. Uh, I got I got real busy in uh, Atlanta with really bad internet, so we had to skip. Well, a week. we all did some fentanyl, so you know. It's, <laughs> but we're I'm back. Sorry. I'm we're back, <laughs> and we're back to the normal schedule now for for a little bit, hopefully. But uh, for now, we, for now. Uh, but uh, that's a good segue into next week, which is a very important next week because guess what, guys. <laughs> It's our second birthday boy episode. Birthday boy episode, and it's m- 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 Marcus. Birthday, yeah, time. dude. Birthday, birthday boy party. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, your 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 birthday is actually in a couple of days, but so it'll be a, l- a couple of days past uh, by the time we record. But who cares? But it's that time. It's that week. It the, the birthday week. You know. I know. I know. So I'm it's sallow, right? <laughs> yeah, Phil Pasolini, yeah. my pa- Pasolini birthday party. <laughs> oh my God! Now I like his. Be, I like his style. Be careful what Tom <laughs> says and throws out because it's gonna. You know, you never know what might stick, like mask. Uh, but anyway, uh, it did happen, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but your your birthday pick, Marcus. Now this we went back and forth a lot on, but I want you to hit it. Hit it with us. Hit hit us with it. It's going to be, this is a sort of embarrassing, but it's going to be my Star Wars birthday party. <laughs> Yay! Can I be Obi-Wan? Yeah. Oh no, I'm Obi-Wan. Can I be, can I be, uh, no, I'll be Baba? young Obi-Wan. Yeah. Can I be Punta Punta Baba? Baba. Oh, God. <laughs> um, he's he's already dropping the, uh, I don't even know what that the is. Nerd, the nerd names. That's uh, Walrus Man, you know. Yeah, it is. Oh, I love yeah. Walrus Man. Yeah. But, um, all right. We are. Uh, this will be interesting. I think actually. At yeah. First, all kidding at, aside. At first thought, it's like you know, you no way. Um, but then I think the more I've been thinking about it, the more I'm excited for it as a challenge because I don't think us three are going to approach this as like a, a a critique of the phenomenon, a critique of culture, Star Wars culture, or fan bullshit. No, we're going to take all the fan out of Star Wars. And we're going to look actually at the film itself as a standalone movie and also look at really some amazing, uh, stop me if this sounds wrong, but human kind of element to the making of the movie. Like really grounding uh, how Star Wars came together. Let's let's throw out yeah. all this other bullshit and really talk about um, this as a movie. Hell, I love Star Wars when I was a kid too, but I'm also fascinated by a lot of the details that went into making this movie that people don't really talk about anymore. Like they don't even... They don't even think about it anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really a triumph of, like, revision. I always looked at so the original Star Wars being a triumph of revision and that we don't always have that luxury in this day and age to go back and, like, right. rewrite the work, change it, you know? And it went through so many – if it was the first – if the first script he wrote, you know, uh, was what they shot, it would be a lot different. And there's just so many things that – so many factors which caused him to go back and revise the film, not just the film, but even – revised his own narrative of how he of how it all came together right um that kind of led into the whole package today but yeah i always think about it that way and it'll be fun to kind of dive into that and see like all the different um and the ephemera i feel like we're going to get into some of the weird obscuro ephemera of star wars we're going to touch on some of the underrated players involved in the in the, in the film and um mm-hmm. right i mean right yeah, Something yeah. Like that. <laughs> well me personally, I mean, it's birthday boy's choice, of course, but what interests me in this pick is, um, A, I like the idea that, that the three of us can just do any movie, 
Like, right. let's just talk about any movie. It doesn't, it doesn't yeah, matter. Yeah. And, and this is an example of that because it's, uh, you know, we did Sledgehammer once and now we're doing Star Wars. But what I mean is, you know, I saw it when it came out around that time. And for me, like, it was just a film. It was a movie. It had no uh, before. You know, there was a time, I mean, I guess that's partly an age thing. Like, I saw it when I was a little kid when it came out. So I didn't have any context for it. Which is, I never even thought of that, but like, I guess people who are younger, it's just like has all the shitty weight all over it already. Like there's, for young people, it's like, yeah, I know the Ewoks real good, and I saw, and then I saw New Hope, you know what I mean? But I just right. saw a movie called Star Wars, and for me, I had recently seen um, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, and I was, that's what I was doing. I was a little kid, and I was mentally comparing, like, that's better than Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, you know? Yeah. But it made me think of it. It made me think of Tiger when I first was watching Star Wars. Mm -hmm. And so um, I kind of want to get back to not the nostalgia of like when I first saw it as a kid. I just mean like there was a time when it was new for everyone. And um, and specifically, it was just a movie. Hey, what's playing this week? What's playing next week? Next week is this movie Star Wars. And then yeah. after it's Sorcerer, you know, it's like it's a movie that played in a theater and there is a way to look at that. And I'd like to do that even just for a little while, the podcast um without the weight the heaviness which depresses and bores me to oh, no end horrible but not the film film's great film when i great. when i fell in love with the film was very fast it was um when those two robots were in the desert i went oh shit, this is good because we're already somewhere else you know what i mean because it's like and just to say for example like where my head would be at it's like we're in outer space and i thought oh maybe we're gonna be there the whole time in ships <laughs> like now we're in the desert and there's the skeleton of the huge dinosaurish thing and i'm like Oh, this is going to be great. You know, like all the, no, no really. I remember yeah, that. No, I went I know, like, I oh, this is different. This is different. This shit's alive. And, and, and again, no one's phoning it in, you know? Yeah. All right. Like Lucas gave a fuck about that movie. So <laughs> Mar we're going to do Star Wars. Guys, Marcus's big birthday Star Wars spectacular <laughs> will be next week. Uh, I, I got to get you like They a, made me pick it. Uh, uh, no. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> we did. We kind of did. We forced uh, it. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, hey, I think it makes sense. It's your birthday. Star Wars and birthdays go very well together. And this is a very one fucking, one fucking hour on. Well, here. Uh, <laughs> May the force be with you guys. I'm Is a huge star. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> uh, Stupid joke so, alert. So one fucking hour on Star Wars, everybody, uh, is next week. And uh, yeah. Uh, I Do your pre-watch in if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Right? Well, I, I, I won't. <laughs> hey, if you can track <laughs> down the fucking... Watch it. If you can track down the original fucking version of the movie, then good. I know, right? Like, try um, to find the pre-90s um, yeah. one. Yeah. Which is sure. always a good thing. No, mm, definitely. It's out there, but it not is officially, there. I guess. Not officially, but it's out there. All right, everybody. Well, this was great. One fucking hour on the Shwarma. Great. And uh, Star Wars next week. Uh, then we'll get back to some uh, normal one fucking hour shit. You know, so. oh, we got we to watch the Super 8 version of it, right? Isn't that, Tom, isn't that what we do? We watch the Super 8 version of Star Wars? Uh, I've, I've dusted that off. It's a very cool <laughs> watch. And it actually Whoa. has, um, what's his name? Grado fires first, shoots first. Greedo. Greedo. What's his name? Of course. Fredo? Yeah, yeah. You say Fredo? Yeah. Fredo? 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 I'm smart. Fredo? Yeah. I'm Fredo smart. Yeah. yeah, Fredo shoots first. Um, <laughs> Fredo. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> I want a shirt that says Fredo shot first. Like, you know, as a, as a we have to make that. That's our one and only one fucking hour shirt. Fredo shot first. <laughs> I knew it was you. <laughs> 
That's oh, the worst that's thing so ever. Stupid. Oh, yeah, right. you greet right. out. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, everybody. We'll see you next week. But, uh, but of course, can't let you go without your moment of zen. So uh, take it away. All right. See you guys later. And good night. The Swimmer, a story that goes beneath the surface, stars Burt Lancaster. I'm a very special human being. When you talk about The Swimmer, will you talk about yourself? The Swimmer, in Technicolor. Motherfucking goddamn orange peel beef. (laughs) 